You may be seated. If we could just dim these main lights here a little bit, guys. I've got uh, sensitive eyes in my old age. And if I can't see my text, we're in trouble. We could be here for a couple hours. <laughs> Good morning. How is everybody this morning? Just, uh, well, that, that would be a Holy Spirit-inspired service. Uh, not what I had planned, but uh, just give me one light, and that'll, that'll be good. Hey, perfect. Thank you very much. So just give the person beside you in the ribs and on going on a journey. <laughs> it's a privilege to be here today. Uh, our pastors are away, and the mice won't play. We'll, we'll be good. But uh, my name's Ross. If you're visiting here today, I'm not one of the pastors. I'm just a guest speaker today. I do attend New Life, but we feel like we've been gone. Uh, I've been uh, roaming around the countryside preaching. I uh, was in Unity for several weeks, did a series down there to help that little church out, and then uh, in Chilliwack, and uh, so we're back here. And I'm going to be here for three weeks with you in the, in the pulpit. So we're going to embark upon a journey talking about the amazing joy that gifts the Spirit. Now, I don't know what happened to my screen here why that all of a sudden changed, but uh, that's the way technology works. So let's kill the light over that because we won't be able to see the slides, it's just too bright. No, the other one. So I'll tell you what happened. Uh, I was diligent and got here in the middle of the week and uh, had everything set up, ready to go, and then it wouldn't work on the system here. So rather than mess around trying to import slides and all that kind of stuff, I just brought my own projector, and now it's giving me problems here too. Some of you weren't praying hard enough. <laughs> um, let's remember to pray for the pastors as they're away, that God would give them a really good rest and uh, bring them back in strength and ready to enter into the busy fall and, of course, the programming, etc., that we have at a church. So during the Cambodia crisis in 1970, Students staged a demonstration at the University of California in Los Angeles. Thousands thronged the steps of the administrative building. Pickets were bobbing up and down, and people shouted all kinds of political viewpoints. And in the distance, amidst all of this uh, mayhem that was going on, and all these signs, and all the yelling and the screaming, one gentleman had a sign there that caught the attention of a photographer. And they were yelling, Jesus, yes, religion, no. Jesus, yes, religion, no. Jesus, yes, religion, no. And that really intrigued me when I saw that particular thing and modified it a little bit there. But um, why would a student parade around with a sign like this? Well, obviously, he was saying something about Christ, about his belief in Jesus. But he was also saying something profound about his experience with religion, with the church. And he was saying, give me Jesus, but don't give me all the other stuff. In fact, it's really amazing that uh, recent studies done by um, sociologists in, in the whole area of the church have found that this newer generation are basically yelling something similar. They're saying, give us the faith of our grandparents without all the trappings. Give us Christ without religion. So most people today, I think, share this same ambiguity. They're repelled sometimes by the organized church. You can't walk around too far in secular society and you hear it over and over again. Well, I'd like to go to church, but they're a bunch of hypocrites over there. Or I'd like to go to church, but they're kind of weird. 
or I'd like to go to church, but. And, and we kind of hear this over and over again, and it makes us wonder what's going on that the church is not having an influence on the greater society. Uh, and so we're going to look at something very, very important, I think, for us as a church. And if you're visiting, again, this is a three-part series. You can go online afterwards and follow with us. We're going to be looking together at um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in particular today, I want to just kind of prepare the soil for our hearts as we'll be talking starting next week specifically about the gifts. And then the third week, we'll be looking at how do we apply the gifts in the body of Christ. And so let me say right up front, if you would be interested in doing a really good gift analysis test or assessment, just email me and I will send it to you. And then you can kind of get that done before next week's sermon because I'll be going into a lot of detail next week about the gifts of the Spirit and how they apply, and we'll be examining them in the church here. But I think that the Holy Spirit has given us the gifts so that we might function as a church in a godly way. I think he's given us the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we might honor the God who created us and who gave the gifts through his Holy Spirit. And I think it brings us a fresh awareness that we can't do it in our own strength. We just don't have the ability to build the kingdom of God in our own natural talents. It's a supernatural thing. It's something that comes from God. That if we try and do it in our own work, we get the results of our own work. But when we serve Christ in the church, there's something spiritual about that, something very, very powerful about that. And so this morning we'll consider the question, why is it that most Christians don't understand the working and the gifts of the Holy Spirit? That's where I want to kind of focus today. But before we do that, I want to build some assumptions that we will build on as we begin this series. First of all, every Christian has a spiritual gift. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. I think I have these on the screen here. When we think about this, we think of, first of all, you don't have a spiritual gift if you've never come to know Christ personally. See, that's the difference between a spiritual gift and a talent. When you were born, you were born with personality, you were born with talent. Everybody here has some sort of a talent. You may not think you do, but you do. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit are different than our talents. So you may be a teacher, but there's also a gift of the Holy Spirit called teaching. And there's a difference between the two, and we'll, we'll get into that starting next week. So every Christian has a spiritual gift, and the verse that's, that, that kind of relates to this is 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any person be in Christ, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So when you come to Christ, you're born again of your spirit, and it's then that something supernatural begins to happen in your life. Um, Ephesians 2, 1 to 2 talks about us being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And it even goes on to say that we've been transported to sit in the heavenlies with the Father. That's amazing that we would consider ourselves a part of his kingdom. And then 1 Peter 4.10 says, But as each one has received a gift, let him employ it. So there's this concept that, every, concept that every Christian has a spiritual gift. And sometimes you may not know what your spiritual gift is. And it's important to find that out. Not that we want to um, worship the gifts. That's, that's not it. And you'll see why. 
we want to allow the gifts to use us in a very special way. The second thing I want you to know is that joy comes from exercising our gift. Some of my most memorable spiritual experiences were when I was serving in the gift that God had given me. It brings great joy to your heart when you know you're allowing the Holy Spirit to use you and minister through you. It also helps you kind of understand who you are in your personality because one of the neat things about the Holy Spirit is he'll never change your personality, but he'll soften it. He'll tweak it. He'll make it more like Christ. But you're born with your personality. Personal fulfillment is a direct result of developing our gifts. One of the things I found in my life was when I really got serious about understanding the way I was wired, you see, I was always getting into trouble. And I wanted to know, why am I always getting into trouble? And so I began a little bit of a journey to examine who I was and, and where I fit in the kingdom of God and the church and my gifts. And, and it just brought such uh, joy and excitement in my life and personal fulfillment. And then the other thing I want you to know as we begin this series is that each gift is designed not necessarily for you. Although when you exercise your gift, you'll find great joy in the spirit. But the gifts are given to the church. And I want to emphasize that all throughout this series. The gifts are not individual gifts. They are gifts for the church. And then, of course, God wants every person to understand the gifts of the Spirit. So we look at 1 Corinthians 12, 1. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. Concerning spiritual gifts, I want you to have knowledge so that you can joyfully serve the Lord in your life. And so here's the million-dollar question. Why is it that so many of us in the church around the world have not discovered their spiritual gifts? And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. And I want to really hit two things today. It's because of a, lack of a lot of confusion, pardon me, and a lack of preparation. So when we think about a lot of confusion, um, we come back to this verse that says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be confused. But that's exactly what's happening around the world as I listen with my spiritual ear, is people are confused by the gifts of the Spirit. And in many cases, we just don't talk about them. We just don't pursue them because they're too confusing. And as you'll see here, they can cause a lot of division as well. So specifically, though, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing this in 1 Corinthians 12, was addressing a problem in the church at Corinth because divisions were taking place because of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's why chapter 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and all these chapters that talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit are so important to us so that we can avoid the conflict that was experiencing in the church of Corinth. So one of the reasons for confusion, I think, in the church uh, is this whole idea of poor doctrine. So if you really want to understand this scripture, you've got to go and read the scripture yourself. And you don't, don't necessarily take my word for it, so to speak. Be like the Thessalonians, because Thessalonians, pardon me, they, they were more noble-minded, the Bereans, they were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So get into the word, you check it out, you read it, you study it, and allow God to teach you the proper doctrine. But some of the doctrines today say that the gifts aren't for today. 
We call that dispensationalism, or the new word is cessationalism, where at a certain point in history, the gifts ceased to be. And there aren't any of those gifts today. And so don't even pursue it. Don't even think about it, because they're gone, and they don't exist today. Well, I say, wait a minute, how come I'm seeing them operating all over the place? How come I'm seeing the fingerprint of God at work through the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Uh, they haven't stopped, they're still going. And then, of course, false doctrine would be another one where somebody is on a bandwagon and uh, they're standing up and they're really kind of promoting their own idea of what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are all about. And often, if you read very, very closely, they're off base a little bit. Maybe some of you will leave here today saying, hmm, I think he was a little off base a little bit. That's okay. Come back next week and we'll define it some more. So let's just slow it down. Let's take some time. Let's read through some scriptures today that will put in the framework of our minds what the gifts of the Spirit are all about. Now, we're not going to really talk about the gifts of the Spirit today, per se. We're going to talk about the body of Christ and who we are and why we need the gifts. So if we look, first of all, at the scriptures, let's just read this. For even as the body is one and yet has many members... All the members of the body, though they are men, many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into the body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. Just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same, so we who are Christ and individually according to the grace given to us each so we got maybe a battery problem nine volts sir I'm losing my power <laughs> uh, very interesting you know if you grew my age uh, just when I was a little little toddler I can remember the byword was in the rural community, hey, have you got the power yet? Have you got the power yet? And uh, they were referring to rural electronification, of course. When we finally had power, there was no more um, of burning the candles, so to speak, right? Have you got the power? So let's go on here, and maybe it'll keep working. But now God has placed the members. So you see, that's really, really important. God has placed the members each one of them in the body. I'm just going to keep on going while I'm on a roll here. <laughs> just as he desired. I want you to underline that in your mind. God placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. I have no control over getting or giving a gift. If I did, it wouldn't be a gift, per se, for me. It's a gift from God, the Holy Spirit. And he puts them where they're needed. So the neat thing about that, friends, is that you're where he wants you to be. If you're not where he wants you to be, if you really get to understand your gift and begin to learn what it is, he'll put you where you should be as you understand that. If there were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't have need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem honor less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, 
and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there would be no division in the body. Underline that. And by the way, I'll come back and explain that few verses there. They were a little complex. So that there may be no division. Here's a key point for us. Let's not fight about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's dialogue. Let's talk. Let's try and understand. We may have differences. Let's not fight about it. Um, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And so this whole idea then is that the members of the body, which we deem less honorable, these we put more abundant. In other words, it's talking about us as human beings. We want to make up for people that don't seem to have what we have in our strength mix. And this is precisely what the problem was in the early church. Because Christians were saying this, is it really true that spiritual manifestations give evidence of spiritual people? Is it really true that if I experience certain gifts, I'm considered to be more of a spiritual person than you? Surely that's not true, that certain gifts give evidence of spirituality, is it? And this is what Paul was writing to. He was trying to teach them anew about the gifts of the Holy Spirit because they were confused and they were mixed up and they were thinking that, well, I have to have this gift and this gift and this gift and this gift and then I'll be a spiritual person. And he says, no, that's not true. God works the opposite way. The person that, that, uh, you know, that doesn't have it isn't any less than the person that does have it. It's just God working things out in a different way. I remember very clearly, and I'm being a little transparent here with you, I was a brand new baby Christian, and I, I had a very powerful conversion experience through a Gideon's Bible. And uh, I, I, my whole life just radically shifted. In fact, it, it shifted so much that my roommate, who was a um, speech pathologist, called his friend in the clinic, who was a psychologist, and said, I've got a roommate that's losing it. Can I get him in to see you? Oh, he was scared for me so much, didn't he? And so he was even trying to get me in to see a psychologist. But my life was so radically transformed. Um, I, I was a kid on the block where they said in my hometown, nothing good will ever come of that kid. It's by the grace of God that I was never arrested. If I hadn't come to Christ, I'd probably be in jail. And, and so God so transformed my life at the age of 19 that people in my community were totally flabbergasted and they just couldn't understand it. And, and you know what, friends? To this day, they still know that something happened in the life of Ross. And that's so exciting. But see, that's the way God works in his church. And we don't want to be fighting over the gifts. We don't want to be split over the gifts. But when the gifts start to operate, you find that joy and that peace in your heart that God wanted you to have. You know, the thing I think that grieves God's heart the most is that we do fight we do argue. We do, we do get into these um, critical moments where the gifts become the center of our attention. And there's trouble with that. In fact, um, one of the things I've noticed was that uh, uh, in my particular denominational background, um, one uh, pastor down in the Okanagan Valley made this very powerful comment. This is many years ago now. But he said, every church that was split in this valley of this denomination 
was over the issue of spirituality and gifts. And I say, that is so sad. Because these were churches that people loved one another, and yet something so divisive split them. My wife's home church had several people in the church who decided God was leading in a certain way and basically uh, went on a tangent, hurt a lot of people, and the church actually closed down. And that's sad. That's sad. So on this journey of understanding the gifts, I want to give you a viewpoint that will get you thinking more about it. Now, this viewpoint really helped me understand who I was and what my gift mix is. And it comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 6. So the first thing we see is there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And there are different kinds of workings, but it's the God, the same God, who works all these things out. Now, it gives evidence here that the Holy Spirit gives the gifts, and you may not have the same gift as someone else. So don't be running around the church saying, oh, I wish I was so much like Pastor Heath or Pastor John. Oh, if I'm really spiritual, if I could just be like Jeff. That was a joke, people. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll give up my day job, all right. And I won't do this then, I won't give it up. But uh, here's what we see here. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, all th are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? For by one spirit we're all baptized into the body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. So we have something in common, belong to the body of Christ. We're linked together by the death and resurrection of Christ. And if you know Christ personally, you are of the family of God. If you don't know Christ, you're outside the family. But listen, hear me carefully. That does not mean that you're not a person of value. It doesn't mean that we don't love you. It doesn't mean that we can't talk to you. It just means we respect you because you're on a journey. And when it's right for you, when the time is right for you, you will come to know Christ, and we would be so happy as a family to welcome you into the fold. But you, you won't exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit if you've never received Christ. That's the main prerequisite for the gifts of the Spirit. So... When we think of this then, Paul is talking about something very interesting. So he says there are different kinds of gifts. Now, the original language is charisma or charis, special endowments, um, special placings in your life, his grace at work in your life. Then he says in verse 5, there are different kinds of service. This is where our word deacon comes from. So when you think of a deacon, depending on what denomination you're from, but when you think of a deacon from the scriptures, it was the, it was the, there were seven of them, and they were installed into an office called deacon. And they were involved in serving, looking after the widows, and, and doing the serving within the church. In fact, in the first five centuries of the church, the deaconess ministry was alive and well, and so women were a predominant part of the serving ministry. They were deaconesses. And so that word deacon then talks about a service. Then in verse 6 it says there are different kinds of working. That's an amazing word. That's where our word energy comes from. Energema. Energy. So what do we see? Well, we see that there are different uh, endowments put into the life in the body of Christ. 
there will be different kinds of service and there will be different kind of manifestations. See, we can't box the Holy Spirit into a box. We, we can't put him in a box. He works the way he works. He does what he wills and he gives the gifts as he wills and he chooses. Now, this is my point of view and you don't have to buy into this, but it really helped me. And I don't think it's anti-scripture. I think it's biblical, but it's just a viewpoint. So you take it for what it's worth. But as I began to think about my life and why I was doing what I was doing and who I was, I asked God, I said, okay, if your scripture says that I was given a gift at the time of my salvation, when the Holy Spirit came into me, according to Ephesians, now Romans says, if I don't have the Spirit of Christ in me, I don't belong to Christ. So I have all of the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have all of me? That becomes the transforming question. I have all of the Holy Spirit. I can't chop him up. He's a person. But does he have all of me? That's the difference, you see. And when I began to realize that he didn't have all of me and there were parts of my life that I had to surrender, I began to experience more of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I began to experiencing more service stuff and more manifestation stuff because I was opening my heart up and allowing God to work in me. But as I began to do this, and you'll see this next week when I start to present the gifts, God identified for me that my primary motivational gift, that's that charisma, my primary motivational gift was exhortation. That's why I'm a pastoral counselor. That's why I have a practice. Because I am able to look at something and God by his spirit can help me see A, B, C, and D. I can't always tell my client that ahead of time. They have to find that out themselves. But I can see in a way that maybe I couldn't see as a human what God is doing in their life. So the gift of exhortation. Now my wife, on the other hand, of mercy. That's her motivational gift. That's what drives her. That's what makes her who, who she is. So here's what we're like as a pair. We'll go into a situation. I will automatically go to my spiritual gift of exhortation. And if I'm operating in the flesh, my gift of exhortation can come across harsh and hard. Her gift of mercy rushes in and she heals where I just caused damage. Now, that's a really unique thing, and we've seen this over and over again. Not that I'm a bad guy, and I don't get in trouble a lot, but sometimes I do, right? Um, so I can exhort, and she has the mercy. Now, if any of you know my wife, you know she's merciful. Amen? Yeah. Those that know her, you know she's merciful. Don't answer this question. Those that know me know I'm exhortive, right? <laughs> don't go there. So I'll tell you why that helped me is because I began to realize that if I was teaching, I would teach with my gift of exhortation. If my wife was teaching, she would teach with the motivational gift of mercy. So next week, we'll really get into this in a deeper way, and I'll show you how every one of those gifts is needed in the church and how the church will function if all of those gifts Yes, including the manifestation gifts are necessary for the church. But for today, let's just remember that one and the same spirit works all these things out and he distributes to each individually just as he wills, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for what? Why are we given the spirit? For the common good. You see, God wants us to to really be close in the, in, the, in the life of Christ. Well, here are some other reasons for the confusion. Fear. 
Maybe some of you have been in a church or another situation, a gathering, where things got a little hectic in the spiritual realm. And you saw and heard things that freaked you out. And, and you say, I don't want any of that stuff. So there could be a fear there. There could be a fear that, well, you know, I, I don't want something uh, coming in and having control of my life. Well, you need to learn the balance here. There isn't a control coming in. Um, and then maybe the misuse or, or the abuse of the gifts, uh, that does happen. Uh, we're told that Satan can mimic the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and sometimes we have to have discernment. And God gives, that's actually one of the gifts, people. It's the gift of discernment to be able to tell if this is of God or not of God. Sometimes there's a lack of control. They may be great people. Their gift... would be a good place to stop. Okay, there, all right. I think it has something to do with when I move. Let's move on anyway, you can hear me. Let's talk about a lack of preparation. I'm going to kind of sum up today with this. And to me, this is really key, folks, for our journey starting next week. Is because, you know, I could have just jumped right into the gifts of the Spirit and I could have started teaching about what each gift was and how it applied and what it looked like when it was out of balance. But I think we have to be prepared and we have to give room for the Holy Spirit to work in our heart in order for those gifts to really be known. And so we look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and it has gifts in it, but this is the prerequisite. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We come here on Sunday mornings and we want to worship God. And we love the music and our teams do such a great job of leading us into worship. But you know what the greatest worship to God is? The Old Testament said to obey is better than sacrifice. And here it's saying the sacrifice of our body, our mind, our will, our emotions is the greatest form of worship that we can give. It's holy and pleasing to God. It's our spiritual act of worship. I like what Philip says. I'm going to tra change this. It says, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's amazing, you know, that word transformed is our word metamorphosis. The Greek is metamorphu. Our word metamorphosis comes from that. And do you all understand the science of metamorphosis? Something that changes into something entirely new. And that's what happens when we do that when we dedicate ourselves. In fact, it really does come down to an act of dedication, an act of renunciation, and an act of transformation from that text. Someday that would be a good sermon. Um, but we dedicate ourselves, we renounce the world around us, and we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And when we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, we are more open, I think, to God's work in our heart. Here's what Tozer said. He said that... Christian church cannot rise to its true stature in accomplishing the purposes of God when its members operate largely through the gifts of nature, neglecting the true gifts and the graces of the Spirit of God. 
Did you know there's a verse in 1 Corinthians? Uh, what verse is it now? My mind just went blank. It is... I think it's, uh, I think it's, uh, well, I'm just going to look because I don't want to give you bad information. It is uh, chapter 2, verse 14, and it says this, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because he is spiritually appraised. In other words, he needs to be spiritually attuned. So what I'm talking about today about the church operating in the flesh can sometimes be people who don't even know Christ trying to do work in the church. You know, what's amazing to me is in one of the churches I was in, we had a special Sunday where the pastor really poured out his heart and we really could sense something supernatural and powerful going on in the congregation. And one of the leaders in the church who had been in the church from the day it started, stood up and said, I've never asked Christ into my life. And he received Christ, and there was a dramatic change in his ministry. How is that possible? Well, it's because we're human beings. And sometimes the, the natural man, the, the person that doesn't have Christ working in him, can get in the way. And so he's saying here that we, we can't do the work of Christ with our natural talents. Now, will God use our natural talents? Absolutely. You know, our pianist, our guitar player, that's a natural talent. God has given them a talent. But they're using that talent, and the Holy Spirit is maximizing that talent, and they're involved in this ministry through that. So Tozer actually calls it tragedy in the church. When, when we begin to do the work of God instead of the Spirit doing the work of God. And he says, from what I see and sense in evangelical churches, I would have to say that 90% of the religious work carried on in churches is being done by ungifted members. I'm speaking in this context of men and women who know how to do many things but fail to display the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm speaking in this context of men and women who know how to do many things but fail to display the spiritual gifts promised through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're visiting today, just blank your mind out for a second or think of your church, but I want to speak to our church. One of the greatest dangers for us in our church, and I asked Pastor Heath if I could make these statements. They're kind of big statements. They're total church statements, and he said, go for it. Is I hope we never get to the place where our talents lead and our gifts aren't there. Because then we're just playing a game called church. It's when we operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we will see spiritual results. You know, uh, I pastored one church, um, a fairly large church, and on the front sign, it had minister, Reverend Ross Clues. You were at that church. One of the first things I did with the elders is I said, you know, guys, we've got to change that sign. And so we put ministers, the congregation, pastor, my name. We turned it around because it was the church that should be doing the work, not the pastor. I if the pastor has to do all the work, we burn them out and we have to get a new one. And people, 
they are not a dime a dozen. Man, I'm going to give up my jokes. They're just not working here. <laughs> Thank you, honey, for, for laughing at that joke. I appreciate you so much. I can always tell my wife a joke, and she will always laugh, you know. My kids say, oh, I can tell you two have been married for a while, you know. <laughs> well, I got lots to say, but let's try to wrap this up. So there's one very evident way in which we have slowed down the true working of God in the church and in the hearts of unbelieving men all around us. Acknowledging and allowing ungifted members of the body to do religious work without possessing the genuine gifts of the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh, Paul says, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. Spiritual separation. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, it does not subject itself to the law of God, not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. G can the word get any more clearer than that? When I walk in the flesh, I cannot please God. And by the way, every single one of us in this room will walk in the flesh at one time or another because that's the flesh nature in us and that's the battle of Romans chapter 7 where Paul said the things I don't want to do I do and the things I should do I don't, right? He said, wretched man that I am. But he also said Christ can help him with that. You're not in the flesh if the Christ spirit belongs in you, if indeed he's there. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. It all comes down to balance. I love this picture. I don't know if you can see this or not, but the little mice are balancing with the cat and the dog. I picked up a cat on the street the other day and wanted to see what my dog would do, and the cat scratched me like crazy, so they always don't get along. It's a balance between the mind and the spirit. And I've always maintained that, you know, we want to exercise the gifts of the spirit, but hey, wait a minute, God has also given us a brain. He's given us a mind. And Paul said, I'm going to pray in the spirit, something that, that uh, we'll talk about uh, as the gifts. And then he says, but I'll also pray with my mind. So there has to be a balance with the gifts of the Spirit. So here's what we're going to close with today. How do we get to the place then in preparation for next week as we begin to unfold the gifts of the Holy Spirit and begin to learn what one gift or many gifts you might have in your life? Well, first of all, you have to desire a life that will please the Lord. Matthew said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. As I seek after righteousness, the promise comes to me that God will fill me Secondly, you must be willing to surrender the control of your life to Christ according to the command of God. That's that Romans 12, act of, uh, uh, act of dedication, act of renunciation, act of transformation, to be transformed. You must confess any sin which the Holy Spirit calls to your remembrance and claim his forgiveness. Why is that important? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if I have all of the Holy Spirit does he have all of me, then I'm cleaning up those areas that he doesn't have control over and I'm receiving a fresh filling of his spirit in that area of my life. Now here's the unique thing. I think this is the slide. Yeah, Ephesians 5.18 in, in the Greek says, keep on being filled. My translation says, don't get drunk with wine for that is dissipation or waste, but be filled. And that be filled is in the ongoing tense, but keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So every day, Every day I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what that means is I'm getting rid of the junk and he's filling that area where the junk was. And I'm able to operate in a new way. 
And the scriptures give us many different words for this. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The receiving of the Holy Spirit. The falling upon of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. All these things, different terms in the book of Acts, relating to that Holy Spirit that God gave us working inside us. And here's what one writer says. He says, after God comes into your life, after the Holy Spirit makes his heart in your home, then it is that you have to go with Christ into his dying. And so he says, if any man come after me, let him take up his cross and let him follow me. We've got to die to self. And the prayer would be, dear Father, I need you. I acknowledge that I've been in control of my life and that as a result I've sinned against you. I thank you that you've forgiven my sins and through Christ's death on the cross for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit as you commanded me to be filled. It's not an option, it's a command. Be filled. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. You promised that in your word. And so I ask in faith, I pray this in the authority in the name of Jesus Christ. See, the difference between the gifts and the talents are this. You know, if you have a talent, um, you know what? You can't really jump up and down and say, wow, my talent, this talent really works for me, da-da-da-da-da. Because really, your talent is nothing without your brain. If you didn't have a brain, you wouldn't have a talent because the brain makes the talent work. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. You have to have the working of the Holy Spirit in order to exercise the gift. It's just like the brain. It operates it. So let's, uh, let's close on that. Um, again, a little bit different of a message than you've heard from me before. Um, and I, I want to continue on in this series next week. So if you're brave enough, come back. And we're actually going to start getting into what the gifts are, what they look like. And we'll even talk about what they look like when the flesh gets involved and how they can be turned around and be a negative influence in a church instead of a positive influence in the church uh, when men get in and mess it up. But let's pray together. So, Father God, thank you for this congregation today that have been so willing to uh, listen. And I pray now, Father, that you would generate lots of thought and lots of discussion and lots of questions in our heart and that we would get back into the Word and that we would affirm and we would look at what the Word says about the gifts. I pray that as we begin this journey, that the end result would be, Father, that you'd be glorified, that, Holy Spirit, you would receive your rightful place in our lives and in our church and in our community. And that we would just continue to see some of the supernatural things that we're seeing in this church. But they would continue and that we would see your great hand. And, and even more, Lord, that people would find a joy and a fulfillment in their life that they've been searching for and longing for. May this be a series that would not be a series of confusion, but a short series that would be a series of life and breath and fresh breath at that. And so I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Something, something happened. Have to read it anyway. Okay, good.